Good morning to all of you. They cut that song off the first service. I wanted to keep singing, but I guess they were worried about time. I'm Pastor Tim. I'm the executive pastor here at Grace Community Church, and I thought it might be uh, um, appropriate to let you know because you saw Pastor John up here doing announcements. Why is Pastor John here and why am I preaching? Well, um, there's a reason for that. Um, I don't know what you think it takes to prepare a message, but it's a lot of work. You know, you don't just step up and start speaking. If you think that, you're wrong. And Pastor John is preparing to speak for the uh, uh, satellite ski in a few weeks and putting messages together for that. So I'm preaching this morning to give him time to be able to do that. And I'm excited to be here. I hope you are as well. Thank you for choosing to be with us on this day. Um, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13 in a moment, but I want to make a few concluding or a few uh, introductory thoughts uh, before that, just to kind of set the sermon up. You know, it's the 4th of July weekend. It commemorates the anniversary of our nation's birth. It celebrates the approval of the Declaration of Independence. Let me just read you a portion of that, the most famous portion of the Declaration of Independence. It says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We are a free country. We live in a free country. This is why we call the holiday Independence Day. Someone once said that we live in the greatest country in the world. I think that's a bit of an arrogant statement. I've traveled around a little bit, and there are some really good countries in the world, but certainly we are one of the greatest countries in the world. As I was preparing this message, I came across an article that said um, the greatest country in the world. Ten reasons America is the greatest country in the world. This was written in 2003, but I think a lot of this is still obviously uh, true for us today. Number one, freedom. We are free to do what we want to do. We are free to raise our children the way we want to raise them. We are free to work where we want to work or not. We have freedom of speech, freedom of religion. I would add that we have the freedom to choose to be here today, and I'm glad you're here with us. Number two, democracy. And you know, as I read these, I, I hear in people's minds, but what about this? Bear with me, we'll get to that. I want us to pay attention to what we really should be thankful for. Number two, democracy. Did you know that the citizens of many nations in the world do not have the right to vote? Did you know that many of the most populous nations in the world do not give their citizens any say in the choosing of their leaders? Number three, medicine. We have access to so much when it comes to medical care, and we ought to be grateful for that. Number four, power. We are one of the greatest powers in the world who has continually fought for the rights of others outside of our country. Number five, human achievement. Americans have stretched the bounds of the possible. The first transatlantic flight, putting a man on the moon, 
breaking the speed of sound, the construction of the Hoover Dam, the building of the Panama Canal, and you could just go on and on and on. Number six, generosity. In 2000, America, Americans gave more than 200 billion in charity, dwarfing the amount donated elsewhere. Since World War II, the US government has given well in excess of 500 billion in foreign aid. Number seven, creating wealth. I'll just read you a segment from that article that says this, America is the sun around which the world economy revolves. Number eight, technology. Americans have given the world motion pictures, the telephone, the television, the computer, the internet, the airplane, the VCR. <laughs> 2003 that was written, come on. Number nine, immigration. During the hundred years ending in the 1920s, a majority of the world's immigrants came to one lone country, the United States of America. You may have relatives that were immigrants, or you may know people that were immigrants. And number 10, entertainment. The movies the world watches, the television shows they tune into, the music they listen to are for the most part produced in the United States. What that article is saying is we have so much, don't we? We have so much and so much to be thankful for. I tried to think of some things that maybe we would take for granted um, and came up with a few of my own. Fruits, vegetables, meats, tortillas. I only say that because I had a friend from Australia that visited years ago and I took him into a, we went into the grocery store for something and he walked up to where the tortillas were and he went, look at all these tortillas. He says, where we come from, we're lucky to have one brand and one kind. Look at all this. I saw that in Target the other day. We do have a lot of tortillas. Um, why is my sound on all of a sudden? Restaurants, American, Italian, Mexican, Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, Japanese, you can get anything you want in America. What about fast foods? Carl's, McDonald's, Burger King, Jack in the Box, In-N-Out, <laughs> Taco Bell, Del Taco, Sonic, Five Guys, The Habit, Subway, Port-A-Sub, BT's, Good Time Burgers, and let's not forget Taylor's Hot Dogs. We have breakfast, lunch, and dinner restaurants. We have free refills. They don't have free refills in many other countries in the world. You've got to pay for it. We get free refills, probably part of our problem. <laughs> Transportation to anywhere in the world. Electricity, heating, air conditioning, water. Education. We have public, Christian, home, elementary, junior high, high school, charter, college, online, go on and on and on. We have so much. Housing. I'm always amazed when we would take students into Mexico, how the minute you would go over the border, you would notice the difference in housing. We take that so for granted. Cleanliness, parks, recreation. You could go on and on and on. We have so much. But have you noticed how much people complain? We complain so much about everything. I asked. I almost wish I hadn't, but I asked several folks, what do you hear people complaining about? 
I got a list. They're not in any particular order, just as I got them. Our country <laughs> and all that's wrong with it. Politics, race relations, the president, the Congress, the governor of California, Hillary Clinton, Democrats, Republicans, Obamacare, co-workers, jobs, my boss. Probably came from Stephen Elliott. <laughs> Aches and pains, kids' lack of interest in learning, water shortage and restrictions, taxes, price of grass. Uh, grass. <laughs> I hate the price of that grass it's so much. <laughs> price of gas. <laughs> I am not going to live that one down. The heat, the cold, ignorant people, intolerant people, people with no work ethics or morals, gun control, insurance, media bias, husbands complaining about their wives, wives complaining about their children, children complaining about their parents, food in restaurants, service in restaurants, people who run red lights, drivers on the road, free Wi-Fi but it's too slow. <laughs> the toilet seat being left up. I don't understand that one at all, ladies, just for the record. I am not kidding you. This is a true story. Just a few weeks ago, I drove in. I went in. I was in the drive-thru at BT's. I like their sodas and their ice. <laughs> and I'm, I've got two cars in front of me. One car is up at the window. There's a Volkswagen, kind of a newer Volkswagen bug in front of me, and then me. And I see this lady in that Volkswagen. And she leans her head out the window. I thought, what, what is going on? And she goes, hey. I mean, it was loud. Hey, what are you doing up there? What did you order? You're holding us all up. Like it's her fault. And I saw the daughter, I'm assuming it was her daughter next to her, acted like a daughter, going, mom, stop, stop. And she leans out again, come on, hurry up. Where was my paintball gun when I needed it? <laughs> we are a nation of people with opinions and, and people who want to criticize and gripe about everything. You know, we pay huge money to hear opinions all the time on the television and the radio. And consequently, we are a nation who has so much, but we are angry opinionated, and dis, dis, the most discontented people I've ever been around. Why do we claim, why do we complain if we have so much? I think the, the question answers the question, because we have so much. The more we have, it seems like the more we want, or the more we have, the, the, the more we we think we don't have. I don't know how that quite works. A historian, Daniel Borston, says the American, that Americans suffer from all too extravagant expectations. He says we expect anything and everything. We expect the contradictory and the impossible. We expect compact cars which are spacious, luxurious cars which are economical. We expect to be rich and charitable, powerful and merciful, active and reflective, kind and competitive. We expect to eat and stay thin. I, I'm living proof that doesn't work. <laughs> to be constantly on the move and ever more neighborly, to go to the church of our choice and yet feel its guiding power over us. 
to revere God and to be God. Never have people more been more the masters of their environment, yet never as a people felt more deceived and disappointed, for never has a people expected so much more than the world could offer. One guy said, give a man everything he wants, and at that moment, everything will not be everything. James Baldwin said, I love America more than any other country in this world, and exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. Now, it, it should not surprise us. We live in a world infected by sin. It shouldn't surprise us that the world is that way. What, what I fear, though, is that for us as believers, it sneaks into the church. It sneaks into our lives. It's too cold in here. It's too hot in here. Who's in my seat? Whose kid is that? They need to get that kid under control. I can't hear anything. The music's too loud. I wish they'd turn up the music. Why don't we sing more hymns? Hey, what did you think about the sermon today? Why did they do that? As if you're not a part of the they. Why does it cost so much? Why aren't people more committed? You understand what I'm saying, don't you? But shouldn't God's people, I mean, I understand it in the world, but shouldn't God's people be the most contented and happy people there are? Should we not be different than everybody else? Was it not our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when, when trying to be trapped by the leaders of the church of that day, when they asked him about what is the greatest of all the laws, was it not Jesus who said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. How do you do that with that attitude? Was it not Jesus who said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that they may be sons of your Father in heaven. How do, you, how do we love our enemies if we're constantly complaining, thinking so much about all the things we don't have? There's a really good author. I see his name all the time. He's Mr. Author Unknown. Author Unknown writes a lot of great quotes. Listen to what he says. The worst person to be around is someone who complains about everything and appreciates nothing. That leads us to this passage that I want to look at today, this particular text. I have often said that this text that we're going to read again here in just a moment may be one of the most misquoted scriptures in the Bible, mainly because we miss the context of the, of the particular verse. As the Apostle concludes the letter to the Philippians, he gives thanks for the gifts he received from them. It is in his thanksgiving that we learn what he means when he says what so many of us have memorized and quoted, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That does not mean that we can do anything and everything because we have Christ in us. 
We quote that scripture all the time. I can do this because I have Christ within me and he gives me strength. But the context of the passage is contentment. He is saying that no matter what the circumstances are, he or we can be comfortable or content. In fact, he uses this wording, which is very interesting. I have learned the secret of being content. And I think we all need to learn that secret. So let's read the passage or the text, Philippians 4, 10 to 13, and then we will talk through it just a little bit. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. What he's saying is he's saying that he has learned to be content no matter the circumstances. You know, I've always kind of thought that contentment had, had to do with what was going on around you. You know, if I could just have this, life would be good. But, but we know that's not true. In fact, the apostle's saying that. It's not about external things. In fact, even our English dictionary defines contentment as an internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. And I wonder if sometimes we say, kind of like people think about pastors, you know, they look at a pastor and they say, it's easy for you to say because you don't have any problems. It's easy for the Apostle Paul to say that he didn't have any problems. Look at him. He's the great and magnificent Apostle Paul. Sure, he can say he's content. He had everything. That's just not true. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28, by the way, he wrote this from a prison cell. But in, in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28, the Apostle Paul says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. He's, he went through a lot, and yet he says, I have found the secret of being content. And it is through his writings in Philippians that I want to share with you four ways to learn to be content. And I believe if you can put these things into practice, you will learn what he learned, no matter what's going on around you. The first one is this. Realize that we are made to inhabit eternity. Realize we are made to inhabit eternity. And underneath that is this idea. It is important for us to understand that this life we're living right now is temporary. It is going to pass away. We need to keep our eyes on the life to come. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, the apostle says this, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus 
took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 1.21, he says, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, he has a right perspective. This life that we are living now is going to pass away. We look forward to eternity. And I fear that the reason people are so discontented in the church as well as in the world is because we're so spending so much time, time trying to hang on to that which we can't hang on to. Now, what I'm going to say here in a moment, I want you to know that in and of itself, what I'm, the things I'm going to mention are not necessarily bad. It's when people use these things to try to hang on to something that they can't hang on to. Have you noticed the rise in cosmetic surgery? It's not always bad. But I fear that people are trying to hang on to their youth, many of them. There are exceptions. But in my head, I think of people like Dolly Parton, Cher, Kenny Rogers, Farrah Fawcett, Joan Rivers, people who did things to try to hang on to their youth and they look different. By the way, did you catch it? Joan Rivers died. Did you catch Robin Williams died? Now I say that because those were tragic deaths in my mind. And they were popular. I mean, you know, it was in the media. But it was like people don't expect people to die. Joan Rivers died? Yeah, you're going to die too. So am I. Did you know that Verl Meredith died? You may not know Verl. She was a part of our church, and her funeral was here on Friday. You know, she was looking forward to heaven. We shouldn't be surprised when people die. I look on the internet, I see these, and again, not necessarily wrong. Miracle creams, foods, oils, all to address the ills of aging. We exercise, not bad, but we just need to know, you can't hang on to this life. As, as many of you know, my wife has cancer. She's been battling with that several weeks back, quite a few weeks back, she, she had a problem with her hip. She was in a lot of pain. Um, couldn't hardly walk. Um, we were, it was suggested to us that we should go to an orthopedic surgeon. So we went to an orthopedic surgeon and they x-rayed the hip. They told us that she had a pathological break. I had not heard that term before, but basically found out what that means is the cancer in her hip had created a weakness in the bone and it, and it had fractured. Well, the doctor began to start to tell us about um, treatment options. And as he was sharing this with us, my wife, who I was very proud of on that day, began to try to share with him about, you know, that she has terminal cancer. And I wish you could have seen the look on his face, a very gracious man. And Margie started to share her faith. She was really trying to say a lot of those options aren't going to be realistic for her. And she was trying to share her faith with the doctor. And at one point, the doctor, who was very quiet, he looked at Margie and he says, Margie, you are so brave. I think she is brave. 
but not quite in the same way he meant. I thought, at the, in the moment, I thought, she's not brave. She has a right understanding of life and that we are not meant to stay here. We are meant to inhabit eternity. I was very proud of her on that day. Do you know that people, and I think we as Christians sometimes, think, worth that, think that death is the worst thing in the world? We're all going to die. We can't avoid it unless the Lord returns. Do you know what death is? Death is an ever-present reminder of our need for a Savior. People ask us often, how are you guys doing? We like to say we're doing fine. We're just trying to do this cancer thing right. And people look at us like, what does that mean? Well, what it means is, is we want to show that we're not defeated by cancer. We're, our hope is in Jesus Christ. We look forward to eternity. One of our daughters, when we were interviewing them on, on uh, Mother's Day, said, when my mom dies, I will thank God that she is healed. That is a right perspective, folks. And if we hang on to that, we'll be a little bit better off as a result. How do we do that? Let's go to the second thing. Realize the importance of your thought life. Realize the importance of your thought life. Philippians 4, 8, and 9, right before this passage that we read, says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, I'm not going to read it to you, but basically it tells us that, that, our, that we fight the, the, the war that we're in and the way we fight it. We don't fight as the world does with the weapons of warfare. We fight with our mind, and we are encouraged to take our thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. What we think about, it is important for us to challenge our thoughts at all times and think about things which are good and right and not to let our minds get away from us. This is why it's so important to be in God's Word, to be able to get a right perspective on life. I will admit to you, and I think you've found it as well, that when you read the Word on a daily basis, you don't necessarily always walk away thinking, wow, that was great. It was great, but we don't always take it that way. But if you read the Word on a regular basis, your mind will be calibrated back to that which is true and right. This is why it's important to be in God's church around God's people because we encourage one another. We build one another up to be in worship together where we can, we can be encouraged by the truth of the Word of God through music. You might find this odd. I don't know that I've told a lot of people this, but I had a heart issue a few years back. And after that, I developed... Um, some people call them night terrors. Some people call them panic attacks. I developed panic attacks. I don't even know why. I thought maybe it was because of the medications I was taking. And so I, don't, I can't really figure them out, except that I know that when they hit, you feel like you're just going to die. I hyperventilate. It usually hits me in the middle of the night. And it, it's not rational when it happens. So what I do is I sit up on the side of the bed, I try to gather my thoughts. 
Sometimes I say, Lord, I've prayed this prayer. Lord, if you're going to take me now, it's okay. But watch out for my family. Watch out for our church, Lord. Watch out for the people. You know, people's minds, I mean, people's names come into my mind. And then I stop and I say, okay, wait a minute. This, is, this doesn't make sense. And I try to pray and just relax and think about what's right and true. That's what we need to do. We spend so much time thinking about all the negative things of the world. We need to think about the positive things. I think it's important for us to focus on what we have rather than what, on what we don't have, which leads to the third thing, practice encouragement. Practice encouragement. Now, you might think, how can encouragement help with this thing I'm talking about, these, these ideas of being angry and, and upset and discontented and all those things? I'll tell you why. Why encouragement will help you? I think the Apostle Paul knows it. When we get angry, when we get discontented, we are thinking about something that we don't like. Our focus is on ourselves. When you get your focus on to other people and encouraging other people, it just lifts you up. Philippians 2, 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And when you do that, you will stop paying attention to what you're so upset about. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The truth of this is that there's so many negative things around us. We need to stop, stop focusing on the negative things and start focusing on the positive things, especially the positive things in other people's lives. You know, I think it's important, I need to say this, I think it's important to know what's going on around the world. I think it's important so we can pray for the world, so we can pray for the things that are going on. I think it's important to watch the news and to pay attention to what's going on around the world. But I think sometimes we spend so much time looking at that stuff, it just eats us up and makes us so negative. I was talking to a guy one day, a guy that I really love. I won't tell you his name because he goes to church here. But he was talking about all the things that was going on in, you know, politics and all this stuff. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? You watch too much. I mean, you listen to too much talk radio. Because he was quoting all this stuff he was hearing on talk radio. And he says, you know, I do. He says, I need to stop that. I said, yeah, you do. Because what good is it? You listen to all that negative stuff, and that's what you begin to focus in on. Start worrying about encouraging people. One guy says, correction does much, but encouragement does more. John Maxwell, by the way, you might not like these authors, but the quotes I'm going to give you are rooted in Scripture, and I'll show you why here in a moment. They may not know they are, but they are. A word of encouragement from a teacher to a child can change a life. A word of encouragement from a spouse can save a marriage. A word of encouragement from a leader can inspire a person to reach his or her potential. 
Stephen Covey says, treat a man as he is and he will remain as he is. Treat a a man as he can and should be and he will become as he can and should be. Now, whether you agree with those authors or not, what they're saying is rooted in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who, are, who listen. Hey, what are you doing up there? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, which leads to the fourth thing. Practice thankfulness. Practice thankfulness. Again, When you're practicing thankfulness, you're paying attention to others. You're not paying attention to yourself, and that will help you with this. A couple of quotes. It is not happy people who are thankful. It is thankful people who are happy. When some things go wrong, take a moment to be thankful for the many things that are still going right. The more you thank life, the more life gives you to be thankful for. I wrote this down in one of the sermons our pastor preached. I'm not sure where he said it, but I wrote it down. It's not what you have. It's what you enjoy. Philippians 1, 3-6 says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first time until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of completion. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, it is one thing to say you're thankful, it's a whole nother thing to really be thankful. You can say it all you want, but if you're not really thankful, people will see that. Husbands, Are you thankful for your wife? Now, I don't mean, I mean really thankful. Do you notice the things that your wife does for you on a daily basis without even being asked? Take it from someone who has a wife who had a lot of the things taken away from her that she used to do on a daily basis, and then when I had to do them, it was then that I noticed what she did. Don't don't get into that. Pay attention to what she is doing now and be thankful for that. Wives, are you thankful for your husbands? I mean really thankful. I mean, you can walk out of here and say, hey, thanks, man. But are you really thankful for what he does for you? Students, are you thankful for your parents? I mean really thankful. I mean, it's in your, it's within your being. You just really recognize what they're doing. As you know, I spent, as many of you know, I spent a lot of time in youth ministry, and from time to time I would hear students complain about their mom or their dad. I remember one time in particular, don't remember who the student was, 
I don't, even, don't remember the family even. I just remember the circumstance. The student was complaining about her dad and her dad had done something wrong and boy, she just could not, all she could do was tell me what her dad had, had done. And I said, can I ask you a question? Sure. When was the last time you thanked your dad for going to work for you? I wish you could have seen the look on that student's face. Well, why would I, she said, why would I do that? Because everything you have is because he goes to work and earns the money to give you what you have. Maybe you ought to try some morning instead of complaining about your dad. Maybe you ought to, maybe you ought to take some time just to say, Dad, thank you for going to work today. She did that. Wow, did it change some things. We need to learn to be thankful. How about your friends? Are you thankful for your friends? I mean really thankful. What about your church? You're here today. Are you really thankful for your church? You know, we are people who have a tendency to look, everything looks better someplace else. We always want to go someplace else to look for something better. We have a pretty, pretty darn good church. And we ought to be thankful for that. That we can even come in and fill the air in here and have the great worship and music. I won't say anything about the sermon, but our pastor preaches on a regular basis and gives us the Word of God, and we ought to be grateful for that. Are you thankful for the abundance of the Lord that you have in Him? If you will learn to realize that you're not here, to, that you're not, that this life is temporary and you are here, you are meant to inhabit eternity, if you will take your thoughts captive in obedience to Christ, if you will practice encouragement and thankfulness, we might actually be the kind of people that when people look at us, they will see the Lord and want what we have. Because that's what it's all about. As we prepare for communion, I can't think of a better day to take communion. For every time we take communion, we recognize that we who were lost and had no way out of our sins, Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for those sins that we might have eternal life. I want you to know that as we take communion together, that you do not have to be a member of our church to take communion in our church, in this church here at Grace Community. You just need to be a member of the body of Christ. You need to know the Lord Jesus. I want you to know that I said we are meant to inhabit eternity, and the truth be known, we are all meant to inhabit eternity, both those of us who know the Lord, and if you do not know the Lord Jesus, you are going to inhabit eternity as well, but it's a different eternity. Those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ will inhabit eternity separated from God in punishment. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says the wages of sin is death. But the Bible teaches that if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which is what we celebrate this morning, you would be saved. If you do not know the Lord Jesus this morning, you don't need to take communion. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we'll have some people here at the end if you'd like to talk about that. But I'm trusting most of us know the Lord and so I'm going to give us a moment to be quiet.
to pray and to speak to the Lord. There may be something that you need to talk to Him about before you take communion, and then I will pray for us and we will take together. Let's pray.